What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, welcome to another edition of the Deconstructionists podcast. We are your hosts. I'm Adam Narlock. I'm John Williamson. And today we have uh, something I'm, I'm really pretty excited about here, John, because I think this is at least the first time, not in the history of the podcast, because we've got other people we've interviewed, but uh, the first one we've released that is directly a result of listener participation. So this guy yeah. wasn't on our radar. No. We, I mean, I, I'd, I'd kind of heard of him, but when people, when we started kind of asking, like, who, who should we talk to? Who should we get? Who should we uh, invite onto this show who's good at uh, providing provocative viewpoints, uh, stirring things up, rupturing some things, allowing for some different perspective, encouraging intellectual discourse and different viewpoints? Everybody's like, Greg Boyd. Oh, yeah. Greg Boyd. Greg Boyd. We're like, <laughs> we better check this guy out. So then we connect on Twitter. Yep. And boom, like we get to talk to him right now. Yeah. This is amazing. And he is, yeah, I, it, it's funny. Be, and I think I talk about this during the episode, but um, after just checking out his book, uh, Benefit of the Doubt, mm. I mean, it's funny how tailor made this guy is for what we're doing. You were freaking out a little bit. I was. I opened this book and I'm like, did I read this book and didn't realize it before <laughs> we started this podcast? I love it. Yeah, incredible. There is nothing better than when you pick up a book or listen to something and you resonate so much with what's going on. It's almost like you're on the same page of somebody that you didn't know was there before. <laughs> totally. It's a really comforting, uh, eerie yeah. feeling. It was, it was a little weird. A little weird. <laughs> yeah. Like, this, did this dude bug me? Like, I think what? he wrote our intro. And we didn't <laughs> even know it. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about Greg Boyd. So this guy this guy is an absolute academic, but um, I think you'll notice that he is able to articulate in a way that anybody can understand. But the guy got his master's in divinity from Yale, uh, got his PhD from Princeton. <laughs> 
Um, and for those of you that don't know him, uh, he's a theologian, pastor, and author. Um, he's a senior pastor at Woodland Hills Church in St. Paul, Minnesota. He's the president of Renew.org. Um, and he was, in 2010, uh, named as one of the uh, uh, 20 most influential living Christian scholars. Um, the guy is a best-selling author of the book, The Myth of a Christian Nation. Oh, man. Um, he, he's also written for the New York Times. He's made appearances on CNN, NPR, the BBC, and the Charlie Rose Show. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, the, the book that I, I recently read, his most recent work, um, Benefit of the Doubt, is just an incredible, insightful book, I think, that really hits in the heart of, of what it is that we're doing with our podcast. Absolutely. And I'll tell you why I like this guy and why when I started looking into him and we started talking about it, I was like, man, our listeners are right. Like, we need to get this guy on the show. Oh, dead on. Because we're not just looking for anyone and everyone to come on here. Like, we want people to bring different views, different perspectives. Yeah. And we want people to come on with the intellectual honesty that if they learn something or see something or exposed to something that they think, even if it's counter to their stream, to their mm. tradition, that they are willing to say, hey, I think that this is maybe true we need to look at this and when he wrote the myth of a christian nation yeah. as you'll hear in this episode this is what gave him credibility with me john the guy lost thousands of people in his church unheard of thousands of people he got up and was essentially like christian nationalism is wrong yeah it's wrong um he gets into it in the episode but yeah the fact that he knew he was going to lose people and then some of the other ideas that he has posited especially in in specific to doubt mm. in you know in specifics to things like we talk about open theism right. which kind of talks about the nature and the character like from a kind of a philosophical level of like who god is yeah all these kinds of things man he just lays it out there and he's like look i think this is what it is yeah he's not looking to give people the approved message or the party line or just keep people in the seats and for our more philosophical science-minded atheist agnostics you're gonna really dig the the integrity yeah. And the intellectual prowess of this guy, most of the people that I think that are standoffish to Christianity a little bit mm-hmm. is because of Fox News. It's because of like a, you know, Jerry Falwell or some of these televangelist preachers that are um, more anti-intellectual and more uh, really looking like they're pushing an agenda. Yeah. I don't think a lot of people have a big problem with the way Jesus is depicted in the gospels. Right. And it seems like there's just a lot of trappings that go around that and some kind of weird, like we talked about anti-intellectualism that, that fits that too, that Greg just kind of breaks through all that. Yeah. And, and at the same time, I think what's refreshing is he's one of the, you know, foremost, you know, uh, scholarly theological, you know, authors, speakers, if you will. And, and yet he, repeatedly mentions the fact that he's he holds this with an open hand yeah i love that he's totally okay with saying you know what i may have been wrong about that and i'm going to evolve past that and and change my my views on on whatever it happens to be so imagine that that's not something you hear very often most people are very very like nope this is the way it is staunch yep staunch it just doesn't seem like there's much in an agenda other than the fact that this guy seems to have found something beautiful yeah and wants to speak intelligently about it the best he can and be honest the whole way yeah like when he doesn't get something or if he might be wrong or inviting doubt and suspicion and critique like i just yeah. like i like him 
I'm going to yeah. say it. I, I like him. It's I'm a, a fan. secret of the truth, man. I'm a know? fan yeah. now. I didn't even know about him, but I'm a fan now. Yeah, absolutely. Me too. So we get to talk about um, Christian nationalism and yep. kind of dismantling that hyper-politicized view of faith, which I think mm-hmm. is such a good thing to talk about, yeah. especially now. I mean, with what's going on in this election, like, don't get me started. <laughs> it's so stupid. Yeah. But then talking about this concept of open theism, because I think one of the biggest problems people have about God is this whole idea of like, are we destined to do certain things? Mm-hmm. Are we prisoners of God's will? Right. Uh, what does that mean? How does predestination and sovereignty and foreknowledge and free will and choice and future and all that kind of stuff, how does that play out? And he laid it out in a way that, man, I I was like, everybody needs to hear this. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's definitely refreshing and open theism is not a concept I think that that most people are probably probably familiar with um so I think it'll be really interesting for him to I mean he lays it out in such a way that you're like yeah that yep makes sense (laughs) should we give it to him yeah all right without further ado here is uh Greg Boyd Dr. Greg Boyd, welcome to the Deconstructionist Podcast. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Oh, it's a pleasure. Um, we, are, we are really excited to talk to you. We had several listeners reach out to us when they connected with what we're doing, and they had already been longtime readers and, and fans of you and your work. Um, maybe they go to your church. I really don't know. But uh, Twitter kind of lit up, and we were like, oh, my gosh, we need to connect with this guy. So thank you for connecting with us, despite our, uh, our bloopers in the past with uh, some of our <laughs> attempted interview setups here. We really appreciate you. No being, problem. No problem at all. No problem. Being on the show with us. Well, give us just a little bit of your background. Um, how did you get to where you're at in the position that you're at? What, what led you there? Kind of start maybe from high school, college, and give us the highlights. Boy, boy, uh, see, I uh, became a Christian when I was 17, lost my faith when I was 18, <laughs> uh, wow. kind of started to get it back when I was 19, uh, got, it all, got it all back by the time I was 20, um, and uh, then I really felt God calling me into some kind of a teaching or preaching ministry. I, 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 I originally was a, a in college, a, a music major. I was going to be a drummer. I, I always thought of myself, that's what it's going to be when I grew up a drummer. I loved jazz drumming <laughs> and, and fusion. But uh, uh, yeah, after this one concert, I mean, you know, the way God usually talks with me, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a stubborn ass. And so he, he, uh, he, he has to make me miserable. And so throughout, you know, when I came back to Christ, uh, he, he made me increasingly miserable, and I fought it because I wanted to do drumming. But after this one concert, I just was uh, so empty that I had it in my sticks, and I, I knew I was supposed to you know, be going in a different direction. So then I went, uh, I got a philosophy degree at the U of M, and got my MDiv at Yale, and uh, PhD at Princeton, and underwent a lot of theological development throughout that whole process. Um, and then uh, I never thought I'd be in ministry, but but I. I cause, as I was going through school, I just kind of increasingly saw myself as a teacher and you know, in a university or whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. But um, all the while going through a seminary, I was would would preach at churches and stuff and and be assistant pastor here and there. Um, and then um, you know, I, I, I started with those church back in 1992 uh, while I was still full time professor. Um, and I always thought that'd just be a part time gig, but uh, in 2003, I think it was. I again, God just made me very, very miserable uh, throughout the year. I, I, I just was getting, getting flat. Just didn't 
I feel like, uh, I, you know, it just dried up on me. I just was getting no jazz about this. Um, and, and plus my writing just, I, I, I had a writer's block that was terrible. I just couldn't produce anything. And, um, I, 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 I didn't want to admit it, but it took about nine months, but I finally, at one point said to Shelley, I think God's calling me out of Bethel university. I don't think I'm supposed to be teaching there anymore, which was really inconvenient because my two daughters were just getting ready to start. At Bethel oh, University, no. and if you're teaching there, you get a 95% tuition break. Oh, no. Uh, oh, I know, and, and that's why I was fighting it so hard. It's like, no, no, you can't do this thing. <laughs> but uh, finally, I had to cry uncle, and uh, it, it was interesting. I, it, 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 as soon as I put in my resignation, um, man, I, I, the the, uh, the book, uh, Repenting of Religion, was birthed out of me in about three weeks, at least the essence oh, wow. of it. It, wow. it just flowed out of me, I, and I went on a manic a streak where I was getting—I was getting by on three hours sleep because I just had this, you know, in my head. And um, and it, you know what? Uh, God took care of us financially and everything. We didn't miss a beat. So it was—it was just a, a real cool time. But and so then I—I I, I went to the church full time, and that freed me up. It really, I—I I, I tell people I had to quit the academy to become an academic because in the academy. You've got to do so much, you know, stuff with students and, and grading and committees. And uh, I, I just, I never had time to really do the thing I love to do the most, and that's reading and writing. And mm-hmm. so uh, by, by quitting that and just being a preacher at the church, uh, it's freed me up to do a lot more with the writing and, and reading and stuff like that. The only other thing I'll mention of this whole thing is that uh, my journey really since the late 80s has been towards, um, I, I, and I didn't know this at the time, but it's been towards an Anabaptist stream. Uh, I, mm. I just have got clearer and clearer about the, what the kingdom was, and the clearer I got about what the kingdom was, uh, the foggier I got about what on earth the church in America is doing uh, and what connection the church even has to the kingdom. And um, I, I've gotten clear about you know, kind of the radical call of Jesus uh, to you know live in a Jesus kind of way, and I've gotten clear about... So Jesus defines God's character down to the core of his being. And, um, yeah, and, and so, so I, I found myself today in a very different place than I was, uh, let's say, in 1988. Uh, it, it, um, I just sort of evolved out of kind of standard evangelical thinking into this more uh, radical Anabaptist kind of thinking. That is awesome. Man. Feel like you could just go ahead and uh, write your autobiography after this podcast. <laughs> that just poured out of you so naturally, and it was so seamless. That was great. Thank you so much for. Well, well thanks. Uh, you know, you, you have to be selective in that. I, I, you know, there's all sorts of little events along the way, but uh, you can't talk about everything. But that, that, that's a broad overview. NT Wright always says, "Anytime you say anything, you're excluding everything else you can't say while you're saying it." Exactly, and, and you, you, you know that, that's. This is the torment of a guy with ADHD. You know, <laughs> oh, we understand. <laughs> trying to edit out things is always the hard part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You are in good company with yes, the ADHD. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very good company. One of the first things I am super curious about in getting acquainted with your work. It seems like uh, I think it was back in around 2005, if I if I have my numbers correct. You wrote a book that just sent you up the New York Times bestseller list, uh, Amazon bestseller list. It was called uh, "Myth of a Christian Nation," and I think it caused quite a ruckus in your church and uh, and really in the country. It was a political, very hot time, just like it is right now. I don't know when it's ever not been a political hot time but uh, especially around election times. Would you tell us a little bit about the premise of that book and 
uh, just share some thoughts that you think might be poignant for, for today. Yeah, uh, well, actually, the, the Bruja in my church came before the book, because um, the, bo- the book was based on a certain series that I did at the church that caused a Bruja. It, it was uh, called The Cross and the Sword. And uh, mm. what happened was, was I, like a lot of uh, evangelical pastors, especially megachurches, uh, we're getting a lot of pressure, uh, mainly from our congregation, uh, who were listening to, you know, Christian radio and Christian television or whatever, and, and they were telling them, make sure your pastor steers the flock to vote for the right way, so much hangs on this election, blah, blah, blah. And uh, there, there was really unprecedented pressure being put on, on pastors. They'd fall into line and, you know, vote for George Bush and all of that. Um, wow, man. And so, so, see, one of the things I was getting clearer on throughout the 90s was just how the kingdom of God is, is completely different from the kingdom of the world. And, uh, and, and we've never had flags in our churches and, and never, you know, had uh, <laughs> got out, you know, get out the vote kind of, you know, pushes and stuff like that. But but we never really were, had been really upfront about the theology behind that. And so I decided in it, given this dynamic that was going on prior to the 2004 election, that this would be a good teaching moment. And so I just spent six weeks just laying out um, how the kingdom of God is completely distinct to the kingdom of the world. America has never been a Christian nation. Um, It's never turned the other cheek. It's never loved its enemies. Uh, And in fact, this slogan that was really big back then, take America back for God. And I'd always ask people, when are those good old days? You know, uh, uh, when we were, you know, enslaving blacks or was it when we were slaughtering the natives uh, or you know wh- 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 when did we look christian uh it, it's a, it's a total myth and uh, yeah, and so wow. yeah it, 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 it resulted in a thousand people uh leaving the church and um, uh, but, but, but it was great though because it really helped uh, it, it ended any uh pressure i used to feel about tiptoeing around anything it's like okay now now We've opened Pandora's box. It's all out. All cards are on the table, and, and it really helped form our identity um, and, and move us more toward in, a, in an Anabaptist direction. Uh, so I, I don't regret it at all. I think I could have been a little more tactful. <laughs> I, I, tax is never my strong suit, but um, but I'm not at all sorry for that. And then I, I wrote the book based on the sermon series, and uh, and then that's when the New York Times picked it up, and and it went from there. Man, wow. It's interesting, too, because this is a conversation that, that I think I've had with, with other folks, and it just seems somewhere along the line that, and, and nothing, certainly nothing against any party, much less you know the Republican Party or any other, but it, it seems at some point in time, you know, uh, the Republican Party in particular kind of hijacked Christianity. Is, is, is yeah. that kind of your view as well? It's, it... uh, yeah, uh, it, yeah, Christians have allowed themselves to be hijacked. I mean, I don't fault the politics for it. Politics is always about trying to get as much power as you can and get as many people right. unified unto you as you can. So, of course, they're going to be doing that. Uh, it's just sad when, when, when Christians succumb to it. And, um, and, and you find it on the left and the right. You know, there, there are, in fact, sure. uh, one of the things that happened is uh, uh, since the 2004 election is that the Christian left has, I think, uh, Mainly because of what happened with the 2004 election was so ugly, and and a lot of Christians felt got, they got burned uh, by fitting uh, their wagon to the kind of Republican Party. You, you see, we, we've seen as a result of that an increased influx of, of Christians doing the same thing on the left. 
And yeah, it, it's yeah. like it's like they're saying, okay, you, you, you guys on the right had the right had the right idea. You just had the wrong policies. Now here are the right policies that Christians should get behind. And um, yeah, so it, it's it's not not an improvement at all. Great man, what do we do about that? Well, I, the only thing I, I I can do is just keep on you know proclaiming the kingdom, you know, and and, and pointing out how the kingdom is you know. Holy, which means it's separate, it's distinct, it's unique. It's supposed to put on display the character of God, and there's no political system that can do that. Uh, and the character of God that we put on is, is as I say in, in the, the myth of a Christian nation, our call is to ha- have power under people, not over people. And the wow, power right. under is, is the power of, of uh, that Jesus displays. When, like in John 13, you know, it, it says, Jesus, knowing that he'd come from God and was going back to God and that all authority had been given to him, he put a towel around his waist and got on his knees and started washing the feet, the dirty, smelly feet of his disciples who he knew were going to betray him before the next morning. Uh, oh. So what do you do when you've got all the power in the universe? Well, what you do is what Jesus did. You, you, you put on a towel and start washing people's feet. That's the kind of power that we're to display. And it's the opposite of the, the, the power of the world, where you try to impose your superior ideas and higher morality on the masses. You know, it, it, politics is all predicated on a sense of superiority. Uh, we have the better ideas, we're smarter, and uh, we care more. And uh, you know, that, that's, that's only people disagree over in the political realm. Uh, I, I, we don't, we're not superior to anybody, and uh, you know, we're not morally righteous, more righteous than anybody. Uh, the only unique thing we have is, or should have, is a, an aspiration to, to serve like Jesus serves, to sacrifice for others. To replicate yes. Calvary as much as possible in our lives, and, um, uh, and that's why Jesus, you know, He was offered all the kingdoms of the world, right? Uh, Satan offers him that, but uh, uh, he would have to run them his way, and and that means in a power over kind of way, and that's not what Jesus came to do. He wanted to, he wants the kingdoms of the world, but he's going to get it through a cross kind of a way, uh, you know, which is the servant sacrificial kind of way, um, and that's the way we're we're supposed to be following. Uh, the way of the crucified Messiah, not the way so, of Caesar. So, man, that is so good. You just, oh man, you almost took my breath away a little bit there. That was just really powerful. I mean, obviously you're a preacher. I feel like that was a little sermonette, and yeah, I loved yep. it. I loved it. That was that was good stuff. That was really good stuff. Yeah. What um what I'm curious in is it, like to really land the plane and make it super practical. Like, would you say then it's an obligation of a Christian then to be a pacifist? Uh, well, that's a little separate, uh, separate issue, but my answer is yes. Um, I, I it, my, the, my pacifist, what I mean by that, I mean, there's, there's political pacifists, and then there's kingdom pacifists. Uh, a kingdom pacifist is one who uh, just believes that when Jesus said, love your enemies, he meant it. And that, you know, we're to turn, or Jesus said, uh, uh, you heard it said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. That's the law of just retaliation. Psalm three times in the Old Testament. And society is based on that. That's just human nature. If someone hits you, you hit them back. Uh, well, Jesus says, you've heard that, but I say, and you turn the other cheek and uh, love your enemies, bless those who persecute you, pray for those who despitefully use you, do good to those who abuse you. And when you say enemies in the first century, the first thing first century Palestinian Jews are going to think of are the Romans. And the Romans were terrorists. Uh, they, they reigned with terror. You screw with them, they'll march into your town, round up, you know, a bunch of random people and crucify them on the hillside uh, just to make the point you don't want to screw with us. So they, Man, they wanted to install right. terror, and that's how they kept peace. Well, Jesus says, love your enemies, and that's the kind of enemies he's talking about. So 
I, I, I think that following Jesus means you, you take a, a, you make a commitment uh, to towards non-retaliation, to non-violence. Uh, and Paul says the same thing in, in Romans 12. Now, that's different than saying that you should tr- try to get government to be a pacifist. Um, and, and a lot of folks, when they say pacifism, they mean that, like, like you want to march against wars and, and all that sort of thing. Um, in, in my view, I mean, Paul talks about this in Romans 13. In fact, right after in Romans 12, right after he says to, to the Christians, uh, never repay evil with evil, but repay evil with good. Use your enemies for hungry. Give them some thirsty with food to drink. Uh, right after that, and he, and he says, leave all vengeance to God. Okay, all, all, all retaliation to God. Then, six verses later in Romans 13, and of course in the original, you don't have chapter division. Uh, but in, in, in Romans 13, he says, God uses the sort of government to punish wrongdoers to exact retaliation. And he used the exact same word that he used when he told Christians not to do this. You don't take vengeance. God will take vengeance. And God will use government to do it because uh, government's going to use this sort no matter what. So government will be government, you know, and, and that's that. I, I'm not going to try to make government turn the other cheek, but I can't be part of that because I'm called to uh, be part of the royal priesthood. Um, and, the, you know, the, the priesthood in the Old Testament was the one group that wasn't allowed to fight. Uh, they, they, they were to always be bearing witness to God's ideal of nonviolence by uh, refraining from uh, participating in any kind of military op- operations with Israel. What a beautifully complex answer to a, a, a very simple, you know, intentionally simple question that I gave you. Thank you very much. Well, there is no simple question that I can't complexify. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. That a boy. So um, kind of switch it up a little bit to, and, and to kind of go back to something that you mentioned earlier uh, when we first started speaking. Um, you kind of talked about, you know, uh, in regards to your background, how your your faith and, and some of your views have kind of evolved over time. We think that's just so important. And obviously, that's one of the things that we discuss on our show is the fact that, you know, um, you have to be open you know, to at times being wrong. And so I love what you talk about uh, when you talk about faith being more of a concentric circle view uh, versus a house of cards model. I just wondered if you could kind of speak about that a little bit. Yeah, yeah. In, in Benefit of the Doubt, I talk about this. Um, a, a lot of folks have the idea, in fact, I think it's the most common conception of faith out there, that, that um, you know, to be a Christian means you believe in, in sort of a package of truths. You know, you're given, here's the 19 things you're supposed to believe and 27 things you're supposed to do. And uh, it's an all or nothing sort of proposition. And I call it a house of cards theology because the, the way uh, a lot of folks hold the theology and it's the way that I initially held it is that, you know, I, my brain's the container of all truths, right? And, and then what happens is, is it's like a house of cards because if you knock out any one card, uh, the whole house can come tumbling down. Right. Uh, oh, it, which is, which was maybe feasible even up to a hundred years ago, uh, where most people up until recent times, lived most of their life uh, surrounded by people who agreed with them and hardly ever confronted folks who, uh, who, whose life maybe, you know, folks who come from other religions and, and, and maybe rub shoulders with them and to see, you know, really to know them as persons that they heard about other groups out there, but they didn't have to interact with them. But, of course, we live in a globalized, plural, pluralistic society. 
Um, and it's impossible to live that way. And when you start to dialogue with people from other faiths or with other opinions, and you see their good character and all that, it, it, it uh, uh, holding to a house of cards theology is, you have to pretty much be an ostrich and put your hand, head in the sand and you know, go la 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 la. Uh, yeah, because uh, yeah. some things are going to get changed, you know, unless you're the one person on the planet that happened to be born uh, into uh, an environment where you got the whole truth and nothing but the truth and you never need to change your mind about anything. Uh, unless you're that one person, you know, that everything you were taught in eighth grade was, was exactly right. And, and, <laughs> and that's the end of it. Uh, unless that's the case, you, you, you have to have a, a more flexible understanding of your faith. And, uh, um, and so with a concentric circle model, that replaces the house of cards model. What I recommend is that people, you know, think of their faith in terms of very various degrees of importance. And at the center of everything, uh, is, is one thing. And that is that, that, uh, Jesus Christ on the cross reveals everything I really need to know about God and, and know about myself and know about everyone else. Uh, he reveals the character of God. He reveals that I'm a sinner, uh, but I'm loved with an everlasting love despite that, and it reveals that the same holds true for every other person that I'd ever meet. Uh, that's where, that's the only place, that's where I think people should get all their life. I, like, my, I, my sense of, of, my core sense of work and significance and security and my identity, uh, I need to get that from what God thinks about me on the cross. Because um, if, if I'm not getting it from what God thinks about me on the cross, I have to get it from other sources. Uh, and one of the things that religious people will always do is they'll get their life, their worth, their significance, and security from the rightness of their beliefs. <laughs> so if you're not getting your life just from oh, God, uh, yes, then you'll man. get your life from what you think about God. And that's, that's idolatry. Or you'll get your life by trying to impress people or trying to, you know, uh, be the smartest in the room or the prettiest in the room or the sexiest in the room or the best football thrower or whatever. Uh, so... All, all of our life should be gotten from one thing. So the center of the center is that. And if, if we're holding to, the, if we're getting all of our life from what God thinks about us on the cross, um, and that is itself a belief, but I, 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 I encourage folks to put all your eggs in that basket. As long as I have enough reasons for thinking that that is true and I'm going to keep living that way, you know, then everything else is settled. Uh, and, and, and once I, if I'm getting all my life from Christ and not from my beliefs, then it should be the case that I could be wrong about every single thing I think, but, and it shouldn't change me. If you prove me wrong about any opinion, my identity is not in that. My security and significance isn't in that. Uh, and, and, and so I, I should be able to let it go. I, I, I can now talk rationally and calmly about every belief because I don't have to defend it as, a, as an idol. Um, uh, because as long as, I, as, as long as I can be confident enough about this one belief, now if, if I turn out to be wrong about that, if you prove that Jesus didn't die on the cross or that he wasn't the Son of God or whatever, now my life is screwed. <laughs> 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 I, 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 I'll become a Buddhist or try to become nothing. I, I, but but I, yeah. I'm pinning everything on that, and I think yeah. I've got very good reasons for thinking that is true. So then I'll go with, I'll a, go with you. Yeah. yeah, so so, so so that's the center of the center. And then outside of that, there are, are beliefs that are really important for the structuring of the faith, you know, like the nice, the, the, the classical creeds, you know, that God created the world and, you know, all of that. Um, so the foundational, the foundation stones of, of Christian orthodoxy. Uh, it's, sometimes people refer to that as dogma. And then there's a, a, another ring outside of that, where which is much more disputable stuff, um, you know, various doctrines, uh, things that Christians have always debated. And then there's a ring outside of that, which is just your own personal opinions about things. And, and I encourage folks to, 
think this way. The closer to the center you get, the more important the belief is, and the harder it should be, uh, the, the more well-grounded they should be. Uh, the, the harder it should be to change your views on those things. Uh, it's much more serious to, uh, say, decide that God didn't create the world or that there is no uh, final state of things, the eschatology. Uh, things that Christians have always believed, it's much more serious to change that than it is to change your view about um, how to interpret this particular passage or the rapture or you know, whatever. Um, and, and so have a sense of greater importance here. Um, you know, it, it, here's what's tragic. It's like, I've met people, a guy on a plane uh, a couple of years ago, who he lost his faith because he took a college class and that convinced him that the uh, conquest narrative of you know, the children of Israel invading the promised land, that that didn't happen exactly as uh, uh, as, as, as it did in history. That history can now show that the Israelites migrated slowly over into that land and blah, blah, blah. And I asked him, I said, okay, so there's one story that's not actually rooted in history. And for that reason, you gave up on Jesus and gave up, the, like, why? And he had a house of cards thing. If there's one part of the Bible that's proven wrong, well, then the whole thing comes tumbling down. And I right. think that's just so sad. Yeah. You know, don't leverage your whole faith on, on, you know, every particular little thing. This touches just a little bit on a, a question that I had for you. We're kind of we're kind of already talking about it, but I just wanted to give it some more explicit language. How did salvation become so inextricably linked to certainty? Yeah, yeah, that, that's so sad. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's nothing I talk about in in uh, uh, myth of a Christian nation or in, in benefit of the doubt. Um, it's certainty seeking faith. People think that your faith is as strong as you are doubt free, and. And so, so you make a virtue out of not doubting. Um, and uh, that, that sets so many wrong things in motion. Because, I mean, if you have that model, then you're going to really try never to doubt the rightness of your beliefs, which makes an idol out of your beliefs. You, know? you, you, you get life from yeah. your rightness. Because that's your salvation. And if you begin to doubt too much, well, then you might lose your salvation. Uh, it, it, it's just... It, it's, the Bible has, in, 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 whereas that's not like a psychological model of faith. So faith is defined by the level of certainty in your head. The Bible has a, a covenantal model of faith. Uh, they just weren't into their heads the way we are with our therapeutic culture and all that. Uh, a covenantal model of faith, what matters is that you're willing to commit. Uh, when, when you enter into a covenant, no one's asking, well, uh, what's your level of certainty? The only relevant question is, are you willing to commit to walking in a particular way of life? And so, uh, wow. it, it, or it's like a marriage covenant, you know, you don't have to with a, you know, some kind of a meter measuring your level of certainty. Uh, they're like, yeah, are you confident enough to say I do? That's the only question that matters. And, um, and so I, I encourage faith. That's compatible with all sorts of doubt. In fact, it presupposes doubt. That's why you need the commitment. You know, it, 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 oh, you're man. not, you're not certain this is going to go well, but, but you're willing to commit to it. And, and so uh, I, I, I encourage people to, to, if you're confident enough that this is true, start living that way and thinking that way. And uh, that is, that is what, what faith actually is. 
I don't know if you're familiar with the recording artist Derek Webb. Uh, we're going to be having a conversation oh, yeah, yeah. with him down the road. And he's got a great line in one of his songs. So there's a song called The Vow. I totally encourage you to look it up. And he says in the, in the song, he says, I don't promise because I know that I'll always love you. I make my vow to guarantee that I will. Yeah, good. And that's, oh man, yeah. I just feel yeah. like that is exactly what you're saying. And yeah, yeah, he, so awesome. he, he actually, a couple of, a couple of years ago, wrote me and uh, he, uh, he sent me a, a CD of a song that, that was inspired by something I wrote. I forget. I've never met him, but but uh, yeah, he seems to have a kind of a cutting edge stuff to his music. But yeah, that, 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 that's very true. You say, I doubt, I do, because you're pledging to walk a certain way. And and, and, and that's what it is to have faith in, uh, in Jesus. In fact, the covenantal model of faith is, is, is not just trusting in another, but you're pledging to be trustworthy to another. Faithfulness is the flip side of faith. Uh, and so, yeah, to have faith in Jesus is to, like, enter into a marriage vow with him. And, and that's what salvation is. It's, it's this marriage relationship that we have with, uh, with, with Christ. <laughs> you know, so many people today, they think of it as, as like a legal thing. Like, uh, it's not, because we don't, we don't really have too much covenant thinking in our culture, like marriage is the last covenant we have, uh, people have trouble kind of grasping that. They think of covenants as contracts. Uh, and seeing a contract, you, you, you exchange goods. Right. It's always quid pro quo. I'll give you this much money, you give me that car. You know, that, that's a contract. And you have a contract precisely because you don't have a covenant. A contract is, is, is there because you, you don't trust the other person, so you've got to get it in writing. You know? uh, whereas a covenant is all based on trusting the other person and being trustworthy for the other person. So, so people think of, of salvation as a, as a oh contract or as a legal wow. deal. You know, the, the father is the judge, and, and we're the defendant, we're guilty. But Jesus comes in as our defense attorney and makes out this bizarre arrangement with the Father saying, tell you what, you punish me instead of them, so then we get off the hook. Uh, and that's what salvation is. It's your get-out-of-hell-for-free card. Uh, you know, if you just believe these propositions, then you get out of hell for free. And then that sets wow. in motion all sorts of bizarre stuff because you wonder, okay, well, now, I, I, what are the conditions of my getting out for free? Uh, am I eternally secure or am I not secure? Uh, what can I get away with and still be saved? Uh, and, and it's all these bizarre questions, which you would never ask if you're in the covenant. Like, it'd be, right, it, right. it'd be terrible for me to be in, in, you know, go to my wife and say, hey, exactly, how much can I get away with before you'll divorce me? Um, Man. You see, in, a, in a contract, you're, you're always trying to get the best deal. You, you want to get the most for the least. That's just what a contract is. You know, so you try to bargain down. But if, if so people think of their salvation or the relation with God as a contract, well, then, of course, they're going to be saying, you know, can I, you know, what exactly is fornication? Define it technically now. You know, <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> how far can I go and not cross the line? Am I still saved if I do this? Am I still oh. saved? What about this? I've had people, oh, here's the stuff oh that people have. And, and then, then we all start thinking like lawyers, you know. We start looking for loopholes. You know, technically <laughs> right, speaking, right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm not cheating on my wife if I do this. Technically speaking, right. and and it's like, who are you fooling? I mean, that, that's where legalism gets <laughs> right. birth. Right. Uh, oh man. So I, 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 the covenant covenant thinking just completely reframes the whole thing. You're not seeing how far away, how, what you, what you can get away with. You're always thinking, how can I be a better covenant partner? And um, that's the direction we should be heading. Dang oh, man! Absolutely.
That well, was great. One of the things that we talk about a lot on this podcast, uh, it, it was kind of born out of the the fact that Adam went to a, a workshop in his in his day job, or as we call it, his fundraising job for this podcast. Uh, and, uh, he, uh, fundraising. Yeah, that's, that's our day jobs, our fundraising jobs. So, uh, but Adam went to this workshop and he learned about the idea of confirmation bias and and how and really kind of applied it to his spiritual life and how we kind of come into our spiritual lives with kind of this, you know, this, this, this bias or these biases based on, you know, the way we were raised or, you know, uh, you know, mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. And I think uh, what I found really interesting in uh, your book, Benefit of the Doubt, is you talk about this idea that just blew my mind that neurological studies show that, that pleasure centers in the brain are activated when we encounter facts or opinions that confirm beliefs yeah. that are important to us. I, I, my jaw hit the floor when I read that. Well, and, 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 and the bad part about that is that, that, uh, your prefrontal lobe cortex, which does all your rational thinking, uh, uh, starts to shut down. And the same thing happens when you're presented with facts that disagree with the uh, opinions you have that are strong. Your, your, your amygdala gets activated and that sends out your fight or flight reflex. Uh, and your prefrontal lobe completely shuts down. Uh, so, so whether we're talking about facts that agree with us or disagree with us, it shows that it's it's very hard to think objectively. We're either getting getting you know, our pleasure centers activated, or we're getting our amygdala activated, and that explains a lot of what's going on in this country. Because you know, back in the day, everybody had to watch the three you know main channel networks for news, and then that meant that the news had had to try to be as unbiased as possible because they want to keep as large an audience as possible. But when you start uh, with, with the creation of, of cable news networks. Uh, where you have uh, people catering to particular crowds. Well, now people, they, they'll want to watch the version of reality that agrees with them because that activates the pleasure centers. Oh, my and, gosh. And, and they're not going to be hearing from the other side, which is going to get them mad. And sadly, you know, anytime you go down any course, you, you, you get hardened or solidified in that course. And so if you're always thinking a certain way, it just ensures that you're going to be more inclined to keep thinking that way, and you lose your ability to really even understand anyone else's perspective. And, and so we have the hardening of the categories here, and it's why, you know, the two sides of Congress, you know, they voted along party lines over 90%, I, I've heard, like 90% of the time the last year. You go back to uh, the 60s, they were only voting along party lines, you know, like about 30, 40% of the time. They were reaching across the aisle to, to make compromises. But now they just call each other evil. Right. Uh, and it's because their bases are calling each other evil. And they, 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 we just can't talk like human beings now. If we have disagreements, you know, it's, it's, our amygdalas are always getting activated. Yeah. Absolutely. This touches a little bit on something that I wanted to ask you about. I can't remember if it was in a book that I read or an interview. It's all just blurring together for me right now these days. I'm just admitting <laughs> this frenzy of learning, which is great. And you're already blowing my mind quite a bit, so I'm having to collect my brain matter up to ask you another question. But it seems to me like one of people's biggest problems with Christianity, and it was my biggest problem for the longest time, is there's this anti-intellectualism. It's almost this uh, this faith-based learning phobia. It's almost like a, like a spiritual agoraphobia like agoraphobia is you know you don't want to go out and confront people or the world or anything and you're really scared you know what could happen what might happen and you become almost like an agoraphobic like recluse shut-in and I think that happens 
in faith. So could you touch a little bit on, on that? Oh, yeah, yeah absolutely. It, it's, a, it's a terrible problem. It arises completely out of a combination of two things. You have certainty-seeking faith. Uh, if a person is, is, thinks that God is impressed by how certain you are and remaining certain, well, then you're going to have a phobia about contacting anything that might, quest, might, might lessen your certainty, that might throw you into doubt. And so uh, you insulate your faith. Uh, you don't, if you read books that challenge your faith, you're not reading them really trying to learn anything. You read them defensively to try to get ammunition against it so you can show why, why, why they're wrong. Uh, it's the same thing, dialoguing with people. You know, you, you just can't let anything they say really get on the inside because it might seriously cause you to question your, your, your certainty or lose your certainty. And, and, and salvation aims on that. I mean, the stakes couldn't be higher. Wow. Uh, and then on top, and then on top of that, if you're not getting life from Christ, you're going to be getting it from your beliefs. So not only are you, you know, have a certainty seeking faith, you have an idolatrous seeking, certainty seeking faith, and um, and so you you have to you have we will do anything we have to to protect our idols because they play the role of God, and uh, and so uh, you want you'll fear uh, coming in contact with books or people who could really um, uh, call into question your your your, your faith. And so I've met people, you know, PhDs in physics who are brilliant if you talk about anything other than their faith. But when you start talking about their faith, you swear you're talking to an eighth grader again. And the reason is because you are. (laughs) They locked into their faith in eighth grade or whatever, and they just haven't integrated it with the rest of their learning. And, uh, yeah, it's it's an unfortunate thing. What what can we do about that? Um, you know, I I know you're a pastor. Uh, I have a teaching position at the church I'm in. But you know, this isn't this isn't just a problem for people that stand behind a pulpit. Like this is systemic. Yeah, totally. What can we all start to do about it? Well, I, I the most fundamental thing I, I encourage people to get your life from Christ. Get your life from Christ. Get your life from Christ. It, it, you get from your core need, your core identity, your core lovability, all of that. Uh, should be anchored in what God is putting on the cross, and that will free you from feeling the need to get it from other sources. And then, with that, um, uh, think think of faith in terms of concentric circles, not as a house of cards. And um, uh, think of faith in covenantal terms, not contract terms. Because the problem we're addressing is all the result of the contract thinking and the house of cards thinking and the not getting life from Christ. Man. So something that I kept, I kept thinking of, and I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Dr. Sharon Baker um, or any of her work, but... Um, yeah, 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 yeah. So, so one, of the sure. thing, uh, one of the concepts she, she brings up that I thought was interesting is, is the fact that we kind of get stuck in this, this mindset of, of uh, redemptive justice versus restorative justice. Um, yes. Do you think that that might be part of the issue as well? Part of it seems to be that that we just have this ingrained thinking where we need we need to know that people who wrong us, uh, you know, in the end will get their just due. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. There is uh, certainly I, I I think a lot of Christians, maybe the majority, uh, think in terms of uh, retribution. You know, God's ticked off, and anyone and so hell is getting even. Uh, and for most of them, it's you know getting eternally even, which means he never really gets even. Uh, he's just constantly making people pay. Uh, 
I, I, as I read the scripture, it, it, you know, almost almost always, I can't think of exception right now. But when God is talking about bringing a judgment, you'll find He gives words of hope, uh, and and the ultimate aim is restoration. You know, so He, he says that Egypt, which at the time was in, in Isaiah nineteen, uh, was an arch enemy of God. But he says, "I strike Egypt to heal." You know, he's striking yes. it for the purpose of healing. And and he's always aiming at uh, re- re- restoration and redemptive, uh, uh, re- re- redemption. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, you know, Jesus dies on the cross. Uh, but the purpose of dying on the cross is to be raised from the dead. And it's for the good of all humankind. And there's always uh, a yes, like Karl Barth said, that when God says no, it's for the purpose of the yes that follows. Oh, um, man, that's right. cool. And, yeah, so so it's it's uh, very much of a redemptive thing that God's about, which which you'd expect given that, that God is supremely revealed in Christ. You know, He's got the character of Christ, uh, and He's willing to give His life for all human beings. Um, uh, he doesn't delight in ju- judgment; uh, He delights in in restoration, reconciliation, and uh, yeah, that just fits the character of God. That is, man. I feel like we should all just have a moment of silence. Let that sink in just a little bit. That's one of the things that, you know, John and I get really excited. I'm a, I'm a pure extrovert and I get really excited. My, my wife makes fun of me because, um, when I'm, when I'm literally reading books, like in the corner of the house or whatever, she'll be like, who are you talking to? <laughs> because I'm like, what? And she's like, you just, you've been like literally like saying yes and carrying on conversations and all these kinds of things. And I'm, then I feel like I'm like an idiot and I'm like, Oh my gosh. But you know, we, we get real excited when we hear things like that on the podcast because we hope that people experience the same level of, um, you know, not, we don't, we're not trying to create doubts in people's lives. We, we actually think that we already are doubting and questioning and the healthy thing to do is bring it out into a community and talk about it and get it out there. Sure. And uh, that's one of the things Good. that you're just, you're really helping us with. Um, if I just say one more word about that, yeah, I'm in the process of publishing uh, this two volume work called The Crucifixion of the Warrior God, where I'm looking at judgment in the Old Testament and, and uh, asking the question, how does the cross help us reframe this? But one of the things I discovered uh, over the last couple of years that I just uh, think is so important, you know, on the cross, there's a sense in which Jesus stands in our place and pays the consequences for our sin. Um, he suffers the judgment that we deserve. Uh, but it's not that the Father was mad at him. It's rather that, that uh, the only thing that the Father does on the cross is he, 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 turns him, he delivers Jesus over to wicked humans and to the principalities and powers to be crucified. Uh, and then he, he, he withdraws. Uh, and that's why Jesus cries out uh, on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken well, wow. as I begin to read scripture through that lens, I find that God, that's all God does throughout the whole Bible. Uh, he, he, he tries to uh, teach people in, in, in a merciful way. He protects them from the consequences of their sin, because sin is intrinsically uh, destructive. It, it self-destructs. Yes. Um, it, it, you, know, you have all these statements in the Bible about how their violence recoils back on their head. Uh, it, 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 it ultimately self-implodes. But yeah. God in his mercy protects people from that, while trying to teach them to turn um, uh, without suffering that. Mm. But when he sees that that is simply enabling people, then he's really got no choice but to withdraw. And he does that with a grieving heart. Jesus grieves as he talks about the judgment coming on, on, on Jerusalem, and Jesus is the perfect representation of what God was like. So he, gr- he grieves over this, but he withdraws, 
and then people suffer the consequences of their, their, their choices. That is the wrath of God. The, the wrath of God is simply him allowing people to suffer uh, the consequences of the course that they've, they, they've chosen to go down. And, and even when he does that, it's in the hopes that it, what they'll, learn, they'll learn through his wrath what they couldn't learn through his mercy. Uh, he, he, he's hoping that people will get it, that when he hit bottom, he'll turn around and be restored. Uh, and he has no other choice but to do that. Uh, it's, it, it's a merciful way. It doesn't work. The only other remaining way is that uh, the, the consequences of your choices will, will, will teach you. It's how good parents, you know, teach their children. Um, you, you, sometimes you got to let them fall. Yeah, this uh, is actually a perfect segue. By yeah. the way, can, can we just say that was fantastic? Yeah, yeah. I mean, oh. that was what we call on this podcast some, some good juice, man. Yeah. <laughs> that was some good, good juice. juice. That was some <laughs> good juice. Great. That segues right into one of the last things we wanted to touch on. We want to be respectful of your time and uh, everybody else's. But um, that whole concept that you were just unpacking, and we can't wait for those volumes to come out. We'll uh, gobble those up. But um, free will really plays into the concept that you're talking about. And I know you've written and talked a lot about the concept of open theism. I wonder if you could, for our audience, assuming they've never heard that phrase, assuming maybe they've never even heard the debates uh, in the in the terminology around that phrase, like Calvinism or Arminianism, could you just talk a little bit about open theism? Sure, sure, sure. Uh, it really should be called the open view of the future. I, I've never liked the word open theism because uh, the issue is all about uh, what is the nature of the future. And the only distinct thing that the open view says is this, uh, that because God created human beings, apparently angels, free, free agents, um, that possibilities are real. Uh, if I'm a free agent, I get to choose whether I'm going to go this way or that way, wow. which means that it's possible for me to go this way or that way. And, and that's, that's, that's real. That's the final real thing to be said about that. And God, who knows everything exactly as it is, he therefore knows possibilities. So the future is comprised partly of possibilities. Now, God has parameters around that, and God can you know, determine things to happen in the midst of that. Much of the future can be structured, but to the degree that I have say-so in what comes to pass, or that any agents have say-so, um, and to the degree that, that the human race as a collective whole has say-so in what comes to pass, to that degree, what's real is that we might do this or we might do that. But there's no other facts out there uh, that God eternally knows ahead of time. Um, we create the facts with our decisions, and until we do so, there's simply no other fact beyond maybe this and maybe that. So God knows the future in terms of maybes. And it, surprisingly, you find that throughout the Bible. Uh, God is constantly talking about you know, uh, uh, Exodus thirteen seventeen. Uh, it says, and this is an interesting passage because it's getting us down the inside of the way God thinks. Uh, it says, uh, the Lord did not lead them by the uh, when he took the children of Israel through the wilderness. He didn't bring them by the way of the Philistines because he thought if they face war, they might grow fearful and want to return back to Egypt. Huh. Now, look at that. If, if they face war, it's not certain they will, but the Philistines might choose to go after them. And that if they face war, they might, it's not certain, but they might decide to go back. Huh. Uh, and you find ifs and maybes all over the place. Wow. And so, uh, uh, yeah, that's the open view in, in a nutshell. 
And how does that translate into like, what are the consequences of the open view for, you know, people contemplating their faith and doubt and, you know, these kinds of things. It seems like that Calvinism, uh, that predestination that God's predetermined everything. He decides who gets saved and who doesn't get saved and he decides who goes to hell and who doesn't go to hell. And then the Arminian view is almost like, it sounds a little bit like what you're saying with like an open view of the future, but it got tangled up over the years in that Calvinistic debate how how is how is that a little bit different and and how can that speak to us as people that are seeking and searching well the the, the armenian view is, is told that we have, we have free will but god knows uh what we will do uh all the, all the facts about our future are there okay so from all eternity uh, it's a fact that greg will uh buy a red toyota in 2017 um the, there's a number of philosophical challenges with that view, one of which is this. If it's a fact that I will choose to uh, uh, buy a red Toyota in 2017, if that's an eternal fact, then how am I free to do otherwise? If, if, if all the facts of my future precede my life, then, then um, I really don't create the facts because I'm not eternal. You know? uh, I'm temporal. And so... Uh, it's really hard to see how how it genuinely is possible for me to go this way or that way if it's an eternal fact that I'm not going to go that way. Uh, and it doesn't matter that you say, well, God didn't predestine you to go that way. If it's a fact, however it became a fact, it's been a fact from all eternity, so it still feels like I'm fated to do it. Fate is simply meaning that you can't do otherwise than what you're going to do. And if, if the facts are all out there, then I can't do otherwise than what I'm going to do. But on a more practical level, uh, I, I think two things come to mind off the top of my head. Uh, what is this? It, if you think all the facts precede your 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 choosing them, um, it's really hard to see how anything you do makes a difference. Mm. Uh, the whole world can take on uh, it, life takes on a kind of pro forma feel to it, a pro forma activity. Like like why am I like the, the open view could really be boiled down to this. Your prayer really makes a difference. <laughs> uh, if you pray, then this will happen. And if you don't, well, then that will happen. Things hang in the balance on what you pray. But not just on prayer, on all of our decisions. We, God dignifies us with being reality creators. We create reality. Uh, we, we, we partner with him. We don't create things ex nihilo the way he does, but our decisions bring about states of affairs that otherwise wouldn't be brought about. So it gives our life a real sense of significance and purpose. We really do make a difference. Things don't have to go down the way you know that they look like they're going down, or the way they have gone down. Um, it, it's not all pre-settled out there. Oh my and so gosh. It, I, I think I, I, I think it invests our life with significance. It makes it a genuine adventure. Um, you know, I, I've often asked people. It seems to me that if God is this isn't the most philosophical argument in the world, but uh, but I, I think it, it it's got some force to it. Uh, it, it I, I sometimes refer to that view that you know all the facts are, are God knows all the facts in world history and eternity before they ever come about. I refer to that as a Cassandra view of foreknowledge. Cassandra was this ancient Greek figure that was cursed with the ability to know the future but not be able to do anything about it. Oh, man. Uh, it, 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 it's a curse. So here God is, poor God, from all eternity, he's just got to watch what's going to happen. Uh, the fact that he's now experiencing it happen doesn't add anything to him. It's like watching a movie for the trillionth time. Uh, you know, it, 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 there's no adventure there. It, it'd be boring. It, it's, it's like nothing new could ever happen. 
uh, you know, it, it, for this God. And if that's the case, that means that our sense of adventure, we like possibilities, we like adventures, things that are, that is completely not part of our image of God. Uh, we're not mirroring God at all in when we do that. And I just think that's wrong. The idea of, of, of taking reasonable risk, of trying new things, of, of experiencing novelty, that's what makes life worth living. And I got to believe that's part of our being made in the image of God. There's something in God that corresponds with that. Yeah. If we like uh, adventure, why wouldn't God? I, I, I think this whole thing is one big adventure. So, so there's that aspect of, of, uh, of, of uh, uh, the open view of the future. The other thing I'd say is that I think it makes a difference in terms of how you understand evil in the world. Uh, I, can cons- I can, with all consistency, say that there's no... Everything in this world that doesn't look like Jesus comes from some will other than God. Um, and and wow. uh, yeah, because there's you know, UN agents, there's cosmic agents out there, and they've got free will. And, and the origin of all that is wrong, all evil, all sin, is, is, is in wills other than God. God's always on the side of good, working with bring about maximal goodness, minimizing evil. But there's all other agents that bring about the, the, that kind of evil. And and someone could say, well, uh, you know, that's that's consistent with God's you know, foreknowledge. Uh, he 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 gave free will, but he still knows how you're going to use it. But here's the thing: um, it's one thing for me to uh, uh, you know to, to have a have a child, and and that child can. I know that that child may possibly go this way or go that way. I am willing to take the risk because it's worth it. Because if you don't have free will, you don't have love, and love is worth the risk. So it's one thing to know a person could possibly, uh, if if you give them free will, they might possibly do good, they might possibly do evil. But it's another thing to give them free will when you know they're going to do evil. Uh, Why give Hitler free will if you know he's going to use it like this? Man. uh, To bring about the Holocaust. I can see why God would take the risk of giving free will to Hitler. Uh, and knowing the possibility he might do that, right. but to, to give him free will with the certainty that he'll do that, well, that, that's, a, 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 that, that's a thorny issue. I, I think that... Uh, yeah. I, I, uh, can I say one, one more thing about this? You sure. can say anything you want, Dr. Boyd. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anything I want? <laughs> okay. Well, I feel like singing a song right now. Yabba Go dadu. for it. We will edit that out. Yeah. There is no singing on this podcast. <laughs> I, 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 I want to address this just to the people who maybe are hearing it for the first time. I found over the years that the, the major hesitation people have with this is not a philosophical coherence or even biblical coherence, because you can defend it philosophically and you can defend it biblically. But they, it, it freaks them out. They get afraid. Because um, it feels like if the future is partly composed of possibilities, then God's not in control. Uh, if the future is partly, partly composed of possibilities, then I might get raped tomorrow, and that could catch God off to you by surprise. Uh, he, he can't guarantee that he can bring good out of evil. Uh, and he, that, that he can't guarantee that everything will have a purpose unless he's controlling everything, or at least foreknowing everything. Uh, and, and so there's a fear there. And as we talked about earlier, when you're afraid of something, you can't, your, front, your prefrontal cortex isn't working. <laughs> I, I used to wonder how come you know, people who I know to be smart keep on misrepresenting the open view. Uh, you know, most of the books that critique it don't represent it fairly. And I, I think part, some of that may be intentional, but part of it may just be that you can't think coherently about something that scares you. And so, so wow. uh, here's the thing. Here's the thing. 
I want people to see that whether they accept the open view or not, you're not going to lose anything in terms of God's providential ability. We only think that God would lose some providential advantage by knowing possibilities as opposed to certainties because we assume that he's finite in his thinking. He's got a finite amount of intelligence like we do. If working on an assembly line is less stressful than playing, say, an important game of chess, because on an assembly line, you know exactly what's coming, so you don't have to really think about it. Uh, you just put, put that screw in the tire, and you do it all day long. But if you're playing an important game of chess, you've got to think about what possible moves your opponent can make, and then what counter moves you can make, and what possible moves he might make after that. And the more possibilities we have to think about, the thinner we have to spread our limited intelligence to cover them. So we're much less effective at anticipating 30 possibilities than we are at anticipating two. But it's only because we have finite intelligence. If God has unlimited intelligence, now think about this, then that means he doesn't have to spread his intelligence thin to cover any number of possibilities. If God has, um, you can't fraction up infinity. So if God has, if he's infinitely intelligent, it means he can anticipate uh, each and every one of a trillion, trillion, trillion to the trillionth power possibilities as though it was the only one. Oh it's like all of his, his attention is on uh, this possibility, and all of his attention is on this possibility, and all of his attention is on this possibility. So with the open view of the future, God foresees the trillion possibilities, but he foresees each one of those trillion the exact same way the traditional view of God foreknows the one future. Oh, my gosh. Wow. So whatever, so whatever comes to pass... I can say as confidently as, as, as anyone could say that God has been anticipating this event from the foundation of the world and has a perfect plan in place to bring good out of it. Uh, it. It didn't happen for a purpose, but he brings a purpose to it. He's been planning for it for all eternity, wow. and, and so he can, he can weave it into his providential plan. The only difference is that I think God is so smart, I could say the exact same thing as any number of other things that happen. Goodness gracious, oh man. That is, that, that's what a PhD from Princeton will get you right there. <laughs> yeah. Shimony Christmas. Oh, man. Yeah, so, so it, it, you don't lose anything by embracing the open view of the future. Uh, and that, I think, collapses the major obstacle that people have to, to embracing this. Uh, it, it's, it's a, so like Bruce Ware in his book, God's Lesser Glory, he says that the God of the, of the open view is a hand-wringing, nail-biting deity. That, that, that's a quote, a hand-wringing, nail-biting deity who can, who can do nothing more than hope for the best. Well, see, that tells me a lot about Bruce Ware's view of God, but it doesn't tell me anything about the open view of God. Uh, <laughs> apparently, Bruce thinks that God is, and I'm sure he doesn't do this in, you know, consciously, but he's assuming that God is finite in his intelligence. Uh, yeah, a limited God would be biting his nails oh, yeah. and, and wringing his hands and hoping for the best, but if you believe God is infinitely smart, but then, no, he's, he, he, he's prepared for everything. Yes. He's prepared for everything. So I, just, I encourage God, I, people to just trust God's intelligence. Uh, it, 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 the Bible talks at least as much about God's wisdom in running the world as it does about God's power in running the world. But yet people have this idea that God has to control everything. Well, you only control things if you lack the intelligence to let there be free agents and make, make pe the people make decisions. I think God's confident enough that he created a world where there are genuine free agents 
and things can go contrary to his plan, but he's confident that however they turn out, he's anticipating each and every possibility as though it was the only possibility and preparing a plan for it uh, to weave it into his providential plan. Trust God's smarts. Oh, that's beautiful. And that's all the brain power that we have left for today, folks. <laughs> <laughs> that was phenomenal, well, good, man. Good. Hey, hey, it's been great talking with no, you guys. No, no, no. We're not, we're not quite done yet. I just needed my brain to just breathe for just a, <laughs> yeah, for yeah. Just a second. That was, that was beautiful, man. So, this is the moment of the podcast where Adam has a, a, a small stroke. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, my goodness. So before we, uh, before we wrap it up, and, and, and we certainly want to promote your, your books and, and, and get talking about um, all the works that people can find out there. Um, one question that we like to to ask of all of our guests to kind of wrap up um, the episode is: uh, we have a wide variety of listeners um, from one side of the spectrum to the other, from you know uh, atheist, agnostic, or what we kind of call non-religious, to um, to more of the conservative fundamentalist variety. So, mm-hmm. if you could just you know briefly kind of speak to to both groups, um, you know, and just kind of talk to them about you know. I don't know, just kind of uh, whatever message you kind of want to give to, to both sides. Well, to the skeptics, atheists, agnostics, I'd say, uh, you guys, uh, you are loved more profoundly than you could ever possibly, possibly imagine. And uh, I, I would encourage you to really look into uh, this Jesus guy uh, who reveals this God. Um, he's given us plenty of reasons to believe and in my opinion, it's the best worldview out there. It's got the most going for it than anything else you can find. And I hope you give it a fair shake and look into it. Because the God who created you is desperately wanting to have a relationship with you. To the conservative crowd, I would say you are loved with an everlasting love more profoundly than you could ever possibly imagine. And uh, I hope you can discover that love uh, as it's revealed on the cross where God gives life for you. And I would encourage you to make that your only source of life. Put all your eggs in that basket. Let that be the source of your identity, worth, significance, and security. Um, the reason why you're excited to get out of bed in the morning and uh, why you're comfortable going to sleep at night, because if you get your life from that, you won't have to cling to beliefs uh, as, as a source of life. You can still believe what you believe, but... Uh, you'll be able to be open to looking at alternative ways of looking at things and to look at them fairly and listen to it. And you'll find out that this is one of the most important things to find out. That it's okay to be wrong. <laughs> You're human. And uh, yeah. you can let some things go. Yeah, that's Absolutely. awesome. Amen and amen. That is awesome. <laughs> amen. Well, um, if you could, just kind of tell people, the listeners out there, uh, what's the easiest way to find uh, some of your work? And uh, when should we expect those two volumes uh, of your latest work to come out? Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, uh, just uh, I have a ministry called Renew with a K R E K N E W R E K N E W. Uh, and if you go to Renew dot org, um, or you can just Google my name and you'll, you'll come to it. But uh, uh, all my books are on that website. Uh, it's free, and they're linked directly to Amazon. You can get them that way. Uh, I also have on that website. Uh, I've got a library of uh, like three thousand books that I recommend on various topics. If you're doing research projects, you can check that out. I've got a whole catalog, 12 years worth of, of me answering questions. I podcast um, every day, and um, I answer questions. And so we have a really good search engine. Put in what you're looking for, and you'll find out what I think about just what any topic on the planet. So I encourage you to go to that site. Uh, the Crucifixion of the Warrior God, yeah, it's a... It's a uh, massive two-volume work I've been on this for nine years. 
Um, wow. Yeah, it comes. It's uh, about thirteen, fourteen hundred pages. Uh, it will be out probably a year from now. Um, okay, and we're still kind of dealing with publisher on that. Uh, but that's a very, very academic work. I'm, I'm just now completing a popular version of it, which I think probably most readers would be more interested in. And uh, uh, that's called Through the Looking Glass, um, how, to, how, how to interpret the warrior picture, portraits of God to discover the love of the crucified God. Um, and, uh, and the whole thing is about, I, I make the case that... Um, when we read the Old Testament violent portraits of God from the perspective of the cross, we can see things the original audience couldn't see, and we, we can see uh, other things going on. And uh, as a matter of fact, you find out that uh, the God who's been bear- who bore our sin on Calvary has always been bearing the, the sin of his people. And um, they, had, they had glimpses, it says in Hebrews 1-3, they had glimpses of the truth. But in the Son, we have the truth itself. Uh, he is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of life, uh, or, or the exact representation of his very nature. And um, uh, so they had glimpses of truth back then, which meant, like, you know, if you go outside and it's a cloudy day and, and, and you only get glimpses of the truth, it means you're seeing most of the clouds. If you only catch glimpses of the sun, it means you're seeing most of the clouds. So they had a very cloudy vision of God. And as we read wow. their stuff from the perspective of the cross, we can discover a totally new, totally new, new, new meaning that actually points to the cross. Jesus says, "All, all scriptures to bear witness to me." Says that several times, and the center of what he's about is the cross. And so the question is, how does the portrait of God commanding his children to go into Canaan and slaughter everything that breathes? Uh, yeah. How, how, do, how does a portrait of God like that point to the cross? Well, check out the book to see. Oh man, leave awesome. us hanging. I love it. Awesome. I love it. Well, we, well we, we, we so appreciate the time that, that you've given us. And I know it's been my pleasure. Oh, it's been an education for us for sure. So, <laughs> man, yeah, this couldn't have been a better uh, time just chatting with you, Greg. This is this has been wonderful. Right. Thank you so much. And uh, we, we, you guys keep up your good work. Thank um, you. We, keep, keep, keep up the podcast. Good work. Thank we'll you so much, best. Greg. We'll, we'll talk to you later. All right. God bless. We'll be in touch. Bye bye. All right, buddy. See you later. Bye bye. Dude. Wow. <laughs> that was that was uh a, a dense hour and some odd minutes, wasn't it? <laughs> I just I hope nobody got into a car accident. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Listening to that. Holy cow, we covered so many topics. How did he go so deep, so fast, and not lose me? Yeah. It's because of guys like that. I'm just, dang, dude. <laughs> it is because of guys like Greg that I am coming out of my feeling so spiritually claustrophobic. Like, when we were talking about, like, anti-intellectualism and doubt and all that kind of stuff, I just wish somebody would have given me that permission a long time ago. Yeah, and I, I love what you said when we got done recording and you looked at me and you're like... The ground beneath my feet feels a little firmer. Right? Right now. And I'm like... Different, but firmer. Yes. Ah. Yeah. Unbelievable. I mean, the guy just covered a gamut of topics. I can't wait to listen to that again. I know. Dude. I know. And hey, uh, we might be in the works to have him back (laughs) for a sequel. Maybe. Wink, wink. Wink, wink. But uh, maybe for a special super secret. Well, because we only scratched the surface on this dude. Yeah. 
I mean, this guy covers. If you look at his uh, his great number of books that this guy has written, uh, he's covered a huge variety of, of topics. Oh man! So I mean, we've just barely scratched the surface. Uh, I can't wait to listen to that again. Yeah. I just know that so many people are going to find that so helpful. Yeah. Oh, that was so much fun. Huge. Man, I hope you guys enjoyed that as much as we did. Um, I'm definitely doing a better job of controlling my fanboyness. <laughs> it is so hard, man. It's so hard. Adam has a special towel he just covers his mouth with when we record. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That is so great. <laughs> John's, John's like shoving a towel in my mouth like while you're trying to ask him questions. Like, Shut up, dude. I'm like, oh, he's turning blue. <laughs> I love it. I love nope. it. I can't help it, man. I, I can't help it. I love it. Man, I just, I hope the people are having as much fun. I hope you guys are having as much fun listening to this as we are. It is so much fun. Recording these interviews because, I mean, this, guys, this should be fun. It should be fun. It should be a blast. I mean, hearing things like... Some of the stuff that that Greg Boyd just dropped on you, I hope that you jumped out of your chair at, at one point, or at least your mouth's just like hanging open. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's just us, man. Maybe we're just like <laughs> the biggest nerds in the universe. Could be. I just enjoy the journey so much. I love, like, I I feel like I have like a notebook in my mind with like lots of ideas about yeah. like, what I think about life, what I think about God and politics, and like they're all like kind of interrelated, like a like right. a map of the internet, right? <laughs> yeah, have you ever seen a map of the internet? <laughs> Google it sometime. It's nuts, but yeah. it's like everything's related, right? Like, and everything kind of touches and leads to something else. And I feel like I've got this notebook in my mind with all these ideas and whatnot, and I hear something like Greg. And there's this big pen like scratching out ideas that I used to have and yeah. making room for new ones. And it's just this never ending evolution of like scratching things out, making room for new things, expanding, exploring, you know, deconstructing and reconstructing. Right. So fun. Oh my God. Dang. Well, guys, I-, I hope you enjoyed that episode. There is so much coming. Uh, John and I have been redlining, <laughs> yeah. putting this content out. Our wives are pissed yeah <laughs> not really yeah. they're amazed they've been so incredible i can't wait to have that episode we're planning an episode with them yeah but we are trying to give you guys the nuggets the juice the <laughs> yeah. good stuff uh <laughs> we have got uh some really great guests coming up soon um i know we've got science mike we've got some yep. more artists uh yeah. brennan strand we've got some mega mega huge people that we're going to keep under wraps until it is you know yeah. finalized and released but are we going to twice, uh, once every two weeks coming up? Yeah, so coming up, we'll, we'll give you guys a heads up before that happens, but um, due to the fact that this is, uh, in, in some cases, our, our second and third jobs <laughs> uh, in life, um, we've been going at a, at, at a crazy pace, and uh, we never intended on this being a weekly thing, at least at the outset, so we're going to slowly... Uh, kind of ease into an every other week. I know. Let everybody you, breathe and catch up. Yeah, I know for some of you that that that's going to uh, not be the best news ever, but um, just in an effort to make sure that we can uh, maintain the quality mm. and uh, and and make sure that we don't completely uh, exhaust ourselves <laughs> as we speak. We as we're recording this on my couch. Uh, I just had foot surgery two days ago. And my my right leg is elevated. You're looking like a stud, though, man. I'm, You're you tough know, as nails. 
uh, Adam's wearing a, a really nice suit, and I'm in basketball shorts with my foot <laughs> up in the air. So, yeah, this is a good look for me. But you are you are currently listening to if you're listening to this podcast, you are currently listening to the host and co-host. You are currently listening to the production crew. You're currently listening to the marketing department, the planning crew, the research the, department, the research department, the 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 administrative assistants, the the tech <laughs> department, the internet department, the fundraising department, the fundraising department, <laughs> the vision and planning department, the the banking, the finance department, <laughs> like this is it, dude. Yeah. This is all we got. We don't even have a sound engineer anymore. Nope. I had to learn how to do all that <laughs> stuff and buy some software and do all that stuff. So if you're digging this, if if you want to hook John and I up with some love um, in the show notes or on our website, click donate, 5 10 or $25. Or if you really want it, you can just give us whatever you want and figure out how to do that. But following us on social media and really guys the reason this show has been a success is because you guys have been so involved and yes. all the listeners all you listeners out there have shared this with friends and family and colleagues and counterparts and cousins and you know whoever but we didn't really do any marketing for this and it is right. it is it is definitely climbing the charts and, and growing and and being shared and we're getting email testimonials all the time of people being blessed by this and helped by this and nurtured yeah. by this and finding community. We've got actually like little small groups starting. Yeah. Like that one in Kentucky. Yeah. That How means cool so that? much to us. You have no oh, idea. Oh, that's what we want. This is supposed yeah. to give people a place to, to change and transform and reconstruct and deconstruct. And thank yeah. you guys. So follow us on Twitter. Follow us on Facebook. Um, I think you guys probably know how to do that now, Instagram. but it's all on the show notes. Yeah. We don't have to mumble through all that here. It's all in the show notes. Check that out. Um, what else? We got anything else? Um, we have some exciting news coming up. We're not going to share it quite yet, but there's going to be some opportunities for you guys to get some one of a kind, uh, limited edition swag. Oh yeah, and support right. us in a huge way. That's um, right. We really want to take this show to the next level, and like we said, um, the only way we can do that is support from you guys subscribing donating and and helping us in that way and uh, hopefully down the road we'll get back to an every week schedule Mm -hmm. but in the meanwhile we've got some really exciting plans um in in the in the very near future that you guys will have a chance to be a part of and get some really cool unique designs that are uh, being created as we speak oh oh, oh. i've got one more thing yeah for all the people because i just want to stress this is a listener formed broadcast we hear you i am controlling my over excitedness <laughs> i really am i'm trying i i thank you guys thank you for the feedback i love you guys for it <laughs> we are getting some really great female voices on the show yes yes they're coming they are a lot harder to get man yeah i mean ladies have always been harder to get for me yeah but. same here same here that's <laughs> but, why we're doing radio we've got TV. some killer <laughs> science episodes coming up yes some philosophy episodes coming up yeah um, down the road this year is planned out we're just continuing to arrange and rearrange things and bend and flex because we right. want it to continue to be a listener formed and informed show. So I think that's all I got. Yeah. Yeah. The female voices are coming. Um, even though you may not hear them right away, uh, just, just, uh, hang tight. They hang are tight. coming on yep. the schedule. Uh, we just have to, uh, schedule them in, in the right spots. So awesome. Yeah. Love it. All right. Well for now, uh, keep deconstructing and reconstructing everyone. We love you tons. We are your deconstructionist hosts. I am Adam Narlock. And I am John Williamson. Grace and peace, friends. If you're the king, would you find me on my knees? 
You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.